Joe, if you can believe it, episode 14 is here. We are. This is the last episode here of August, if you can believe that. We're getting ready That's for crazy. football season, which is a couple weeks away. NBA, NHL playoffs are heating up. MLBs at the halfway point of their 60-game season. But we have to start with the NBA and really the big first moment of sports oh, returning. Yes was this past weekend, Luka Doncic with that shot. The shot itself was incredible, but when you take it at face value, he had no Porzingis that whole game. He was playing on a bum ankle. He had to overcome a 21-point deficit, and then his team was down one. So if he misses that shot, then they lose, right? It's not like he missed it, they go to overtime. There's a difference between a pressure shot when it's a tie game, like Kawhi missed at the end of regulation, right? and then the one that Luka hit when you're down one exactly so he hit that shot we got the mike breen double bang you know he was waiting a long time for that um but look luke is 21 years old we knew that he was special but i think kenny smith is saying it best listening to him on tnt we're watching year three luca and kind of the mvp candidate luca he looks as this at the 2020-2021 season, not the 2019-2020 season. And, man, has he been good. You just wish that he was at full health because you can tell at times that that ankle is definitely bothering him. But, Joe, Dallas, I mean, they're one piece away. You talk all the time about NBA teams that kind of need that third guy, but Dallas especially, it looks like Luka and Porzingis are really going to click well. But if they can get a third guy to complement those two being so young, they're going to be a problem for a long time. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, three has always been the magic number in the NBA. But you look around the league now, Golden State has clan stuff. The Blazers have McCollum and Lillard. The Lakers have LeBron and AD. The Nets have Kyrie and KD. Uh, the Clippers have Paul George and Kawhi. The, the Bucks really just kind of have Giannis. Um, maybe you throw Chris Middleton in there. Um, Houston, Harden, and Westbrook. Exactly. Houston is Harden and Westbrook. So we're seeing more than we have recently. The NBA right now is about tandems. And until one of those other teams gets their own third piece and forms a new big three, which we don't have yet, in my opinion. um, I think the Warriors are closest to Draymond. They're they're closest. Draymond's more of a heart and soul kind of type of guy. Right. Um, But And they've got the number two pick, which could either – which is going to be traded for one. So they'll, they'll probably get it this year. But as, so long as it's just a tandem league, or even if the Warriors get somebody and then, God forbid, somebody gets hurt like they had their injuries this year, as long as it's a tandem league, you've got to watch for the Mavs to win a title at any time in the next couple of years until a team forms a big three. Because Luka is an MVP now. Luka is absolutely one of the top five players in the league. Mm-hmm. Case is close to being made for being the best player in the league. It's not far off. So you pair that with Porzingis and, and how lethal they have been together. Um, they have a lot of nice side pieces with Seth Curry, with Hardaway, with Burke. I mean, they have a lot of nice third, fourth, fifth options. Yeah, they do need – there's no denying it. Like, if they want to be a championship favorite, they need a third. Like we said, that's – Around the league, historically, it's three. But right now, right now, two could do it. They're not, probably not going to get through this series now that they're down 3-2. But two can do it. And if, if it stays like this, they're going to be probably one of the hottest preseason bets to win it all next year 
because the value on them is going to be really good. They're going to be looking back at what they, people are going to be looking back at what they did this year. Uh, so, so the Mavericks are, the Mavericks are here and the Mavericks are going to be dangerous for a very long time with Luca. And I won't say the Hawks because Trey Young is also a star in his own right, but the Sacramento Kings, man, drafted Marvin Bagley ahead of Luka Doncic. They got to be killing themselves right now. The Suns with Aiton, he's good. Like, that's not a problem. He was the consensus he number one pick. But passing on Luka at two is going to haunt that franchise forever. There's a reason they haven't made the playoffs in 13 years or whatever yep. it is. But yep. I'm glad you talked about Luka and how you see him as a top five player in the league because – I'm starting to think, you know, I'm watching all these Western Conference games, and I'm like, the talent in the Western Conference. So good. Because you look at the East right now in these games, and you really got Giannis and Embiid. I mean, You've Tatum's three good. three sweeps in the East. That tells right, you all you need. Right, I mean, there are a lot of good, solid players with Durant not playing this year. It's really Giannis and Embiid on top of everybody else. Jason Tatum's very good. Pascal Siakam's very good. But those are the clear two. But then you start thinking about the West, and it's like LeBron, Kawhi, Lillard, Luka, Anthony Davis. So I wanted to ask you, who are your top five players in the Western Conference that are currently in the bubble? So no Steph Curry, no Klay Thompson, no Devin Booker. The eight teams remaining in the playoffs, your top five players, who would they be? Number one's Kawhi. I think Kawhi right now, outside of Giannis, and the debate could be had between those two, is the best player in the world, period. Um, in the bubble right now, I'd have to go with LeBron at number two, just because, I mean, he, he's, he's got that playoff mode activated right now and he's got that look on his face and he's pulling up the numbers, the assists are there, the points are there, everything, his game is running on all cylinders right now, mostly the passing. I mean, it's been great watching him just distribute he's the ball. He's always been the best passer. He always has. Always, been. always. Yeah. But he, he yeah. seems to have taken it to a new level of focus and concentration. Now, I don't know if it's just no distractions with no fans at the games or whatever it is, but he seems locked in to a whole new level. There's one pass that stuck out to me. Uh, it was in game one, the loss, actually, against the Blazers. He came down in transition. And he had a no-look pass to the corner. I'm watching on the TV screen, and I didn't even see Danny Green in the corner. And I'm wondering how he saw Danny Green through traffic, and it just blew my mind, and, and he's number two. Now is where it starts to get kind of interesting. So Harden gets the points, doesn't play defense. Lillard, I almost feel bad to pick him now because he's out, so he's going to miss the next game. And then they're probably going to be out of the bubble because the Lakers are probably going to end it tonight. Right. So he then doesn't really fit your question. So I'm actually going to put Lillard aside. Um, Jokic, very solid. Jamal Murray's playing out of his mind. Donovan Mitchell's playing out of his mind. Uh, Paul George is not playing out of his mind at all. Uh, Anthony Davis has been great. Luka has to be number three. Luka's got to be number three, I think, after Kawhi and LeBron. Um, those last two spots are tough. Uh, Anthony Davis is playing really great basketball right now. I'd, I'd be, it'd be hard to pick against him at number four, so I'll go with him for four. Now, five, I don't like the way Harden has looked the last couple games. And even the first couple games, it was, it's, again, just volume scoring. Um, it's a toss-up right now. It's between Murray and Mitchell, the way they've been carrying their, the, those two teams in what has been the best series of the playoffs so far. I'll probably go with Donovan Mitchell right now, the way he's playing at number wow. five. 
Okay. I like top four. We are in agreement. Kawhi is number one, best two-way player in the NBA. Phenomenal. LeBron's still number two. What he does, nobody carries more of a burden than LeBron does. If he doesn't play well, the Lakers don't play well. It's that simple. Three, I'm with Luka too. Luka, much like LeBron, I think it was, you know, in this series, he's scored or assisted on like 55% of their points. I mean, he's what makes the Mavs go. Four and five is where it gets interesting. I lean Anthony Davis as well, just because at his size, he has guard ability with his handle and how he can shoot it. He's an incredible defender. He's a good passer. I give him the nod at four. And then five's tough. The way I look at it is Murray, Mitchell, Harden, Lillard, all phenomenal offensive players. But to me, Harden is the best of the bunch. So I would give him the nod at number five. But, again, you can't, you can't go wrong. The fact that Damian Lillard's not in the top five is pretty incredible. I but that's, it's, it's tough, though. But I'm with you. It's Le- Kawhi and LeBron and Luka would probably be people's top one, two, one, two and three. three. And then four or five, you could make a case for six guys. Yep. You really yep. now, And that's why we've seen such a great couple of series in yes. the West versus the East. I mean, across the board, that – Crazy Luka finished to make it 2-2. Two to two. Then the Clippers came out and won by, like, 40 in, in Game 5, and they'll probably close it out in Game 6, I think, the way the momentum of that series was going. Um, Jazz Nuggets surprised everybody that the Jazz got out to the 3-1 lead. Denver double-digit comeback to, to make it 3-2. Uh, Jamal Murray has been absolutely insane. It was tough for me to pick Mitchell over him, actually. Uh, over the last couple of games, I pulled this up, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned it today. I just got to scroll back now. Uh, but Jamal Murray, just to kind of showcase how great he's been, the last two games for the Nuggets, 92 points, 19 assists, 15 boards, zero turnovers, 61% from the field, 57% from three, 100% from the free throw line in his last two games. He's playing bonkers right now. Um, You'd be hard-pressed to pick against the Nuggets, evening that up and going to a Game 7. That's probably uh, probably the best series we've had so far. Rockets, Thunder, we'll see tonight. As we record this on Wednesday, Game 5 will be tonight. Uh, And that one is another one that could possibly go 7. The Lakers are closing out tonight. The Blazers are done. That was actually Pat Self on back, my best pick of the the first round. I said Blazers win Game 1 off the the momentum of the whole – eight games play in where the Lakers coasted and the Lakers win four straight. So that went exactly to form. It's been a great side of the bracket in the West, the East, not so much. We don't really have to spend much time on it. The Raptors swept the Celtics swept the heat swept and the bucks allowed yeah. Orlando to get one game for a gentleman sweep, but there the semis is where the two, East gets good. It's going to be really good. Cause and Miami, Miami could make that go seven with, with Milwaukee and Toronto, uh, you know, Boston. You know, what? you know what? Let's call it audible right now in the show rundown we had. Next week's going to be our big, huge football preview episode, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on other things. Let's yeah. do it right now. We know pretty much how – we know exactly what the East is going to look like. Yeah. Let's go for our semi-picks in the East because this is two great series. Um, Boston-Toronto, I have no freaking clue in this series. <laughs> it's tough. I went with Toronto before the playoffs started. They dominated a weaker opponent. The Celtics dominated a slightly better opponent, but the Sixers didn't seem like they cared at all whether Brett Brown got fired or not, and he did get fired. Um, You don't know with Gordon Hayward 
It doesn't seem like he's going to be back for the yeah, series. Yeah, he will. Um, defensively, the Raptors are, are better. The Celtics are probably deeper and more well-rounded. The Raptors are better coached, but not by much, because I love Brad Stevens for as great, great as Nick Nurse is. This one is probably the, the to invent a word, the toss-uppiest of all the toss-ups so far in the playoffs. I'll go with Toronto in six. I don't feel confident picking a one way or the other in this series. Uh, if you hear a kid shouting, the, the kid that I'm that lives in the house that I'm renting the Airbnb is doing virtual schooling. I apologize about that. Um, <laughs> Milwaukee already. <laughs> I know. Uh, Milwaukee, Miami. Uh, there's my big upset pick. I got the Heat in seven. The way the teams looked in the first round. Love the way the Heat looked. Do not like the way the Bucks looked. Yeah, I got Milwaukee in seven. That series, I'm with you. That goes seven. Um, and I like Toronto in six as well. Boston, they're going to miss Hayward because Very much so. Toronto's just going to frustrate Tatum and Jalen Brown. They just match up well with them defensively. They got Van Fleet and Siakam and Lowry. They're just good defensive. Well, Lowry's got a little injury now too, but it doesn't seem to be as severe, obviously, as Gordon right. Hayward. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's a bad matchup for Boston. They don't have anybody inside either. Um, like Philly did, if they were to face Toronto and have Embiid, that would definitely help them. But, you know, they got Daniel Tice and they got Enos Cantor, while Toronto has Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka, two outstanding defensive big men. So I just think it's going to be tough for Boston to score enough points and to win four games to win that series. But Miami and Milwaukee, Joe, you know how much I liked Indiana, especially when we heard Oladipo was coming back. For the Heat to sweep them, I mean, yep. that was like, yep. wow. Statement uh, made that's impressive. by Jimmy Butler. Statement They're made a well-rounded team, too. We talk about the Mavs and how they need kind of a third guy. Miami really has Jimmy Butler, maybe Bam Adebayo. He was an all-star. But they really have Butler and then just like four solid Really players. solid next Dragic, Adebayo, Hero, Duncan Robinson. I mean, they just got good, solid players. Eric Spolster is a good coach. That He's one of the me. most underrated coaches in the league to me. He is. He got all of the kind of tongue-in-cheek comments when it was the big three, like, oh, what is Spolster really doing down there? Right. But he has coached his ass off since all those guys have left and has still had that team contending in the playoffs every yes. year just about since then. Yeah. So that's off to Eric Spolster. Like, you see guys kind of getting fired left and right at various teams around the league, and – after that big three was dismantled, he picked up the pieces and they are back to being a legit contender. Um, potentially a lure for Giannis Antetokounmpo in the offseason. Don't think that's where he goes. He's had to go to Toronto or Golden State, in my opinion. But uh, the Heat have been mentioned. So hats off to Eric Spolster for just doing a great job while nobody notices down there. Uh, in the West, we can't really do the picks yet because yeah. there's still a lot to be decided in the West. And we figured we'd cover the East while we could. Miami-Milwaukee is the best series, regardless yeah. of who wins Denver-Utah and OKC-Houston and Facebook, exactly. Clippers-Lakers. That's Milwaukee. Exactly. We've got no clue with Houston, OKC, or Denver-Utah right now. Even I mean, you can give Dallas a slight chance against the Clippers. I don't see it. The only right. thing that's a given right now in the West is that the Lakers are coming through. Other than that, can't make any other picks based on the way it currently looks. Well, one thing we do know is Matt Turner, our next guest. We've had him in our pocket for a while now, waiting to show everybody this interview. Awesome stuff. New England Revolution goalkeeper. 
Joe, you've been active on Twitter. He's been making some great plays. I didn't appreciate that he was making some saves against D.C. United. Any of the other teams, <laughs> that's fine. But D.C., you know, he's got to chill out with that. He hasn't missed a step ever since the games came back, man. He has been highlight reel save after highlight reel save. He was doing it in the bubble, which we talked to him about. He was doing it now back in the home markets as the MLS has resumed his regular season. He's, he's got a shot. He's got a shot to be goalkeeper of the year in the MLS. Absolutely. And like you just said, we talked about the bubble, the upcoming season. Everybody enjoy it. Interview with Matt Turner coming up next. Joined this week by a very special guest, New England Revolution starting goalkeeper, U.S. men's national team member, former Fairfield Stag, and most importantly, fellow alum of St. Joseph Regional High School, where I got to meet him. It's Matt Turner. Matt, it's good to see you, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And like you said, I can never forget uh, those SJR days. Those are yeah. very important, very formative. Of course. And it was just, it was, you graduated a couple of months before I started. But I remember a couple of times we overlapped because there was, I guess, a couple week gap between when our soccer camp started and when Fairfield started. And you were always coming in to get that extra work for a couple of weeks before college camp started. So we should have known then that you were going to do big things, putting in that extra work at a high school practice when you were already in college. Well, also, you know, you know, don't take anything away from yourself there. You know, keeping me on my toes. I feel like you, you, know, you need to, you need to give yourself some credit as to, you know, getting me to where. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. Um, so many different ways we could take this, uh, but the main thing we want to start out with, of course, is all the questions about what the hell life was like in the bubble in Orlando. So, what was your daily routine like living in that Disney bubble in Orlando? Yeah, so uh, it was tough to get into a routine actually because. Um, first of all, games thick and fast. Um, you're just playing games and, and sometimes things took a little bit of a twist. Uh, like for example, before our DC game, uh, we had two out of nowhere, two presumptive positive tests. So then we had to sort of like follow the protocol where we weren't allowed to go and have team meals together. We had to take our meals up to the room and then it was like, okay, every, actually everybody's fine. And then we go to the game and we left maybe like two minutes late, thunderstorming. And because of the policy of wide world of sports, we had to sit on the bus for an extra hour before then we had to go to the locker room. And because of the TV time, they didn't want to miss the TV uh, slot by too much. So we had to like go onto the field basically right away with no for, from the bus to the field. Weren't even allowed to go back into the locker room had to change right there on the bench after warmups and like then start playing the game. So, you know, it, like there was interesting things like that. Like I said, that, that changes your rhythm. Uh, training times were all over the place. Um, there's like four practice slots, but like there's a, you get to choose whether, whether you have an A day or a B day. So if you have an A day, you, let's just say you choose to train at either 8 a.m. or uh, 6 p.m. But if you had a B day, you had, you had to choose between 10.30 and 9.30, a.m. and 9.30 p.m. And so it was like a little bit uh, tricky in that sense, uh, trying to get into rhythm. Okay, one day we had to practice at 9.30 p.m. And then turn around and we practice at uh, 10.30 yeah. the next day. So um, the rhythm was tough. But, you know, if anything, it taught me that uh, you can find success without everything being perfectly lined up, which was hard for me. I'm a bit OCD. 
<laughs> if you had to pinpoint to one thing, what would you say was maybe your favorite part of the bubble and then something that you didn't really enjoy? Uh, favorite part of the bubble was probably um, just being around, being around everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, in saying that, it, that also became like part of what I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because uh, eventually you're seeing the same faces over and over again. But no, like getting, uh, being down there, uh, it really helped me to realize how many connections I've made over the years in MLS. And uh, I think that's like a, a special bond. And now like all these people that have been in the bubble are sort of like, we're like, have gone through that experience together. So mm-hmm. uh, you realize how much, how many connections that you've made, uh, how people really are off the field because you see them, uh, how they interact with their teammates and stuff. So uh, it's definitely, um, definitely a bit eye-opening in that sense, um, which was, which was really cool. Um, things I didn't like, obviously, just being away from family and friends for so long. That's that's tough. Right. Um, and I wish that the game days, I wish that the game days were a little more like, okay, like you get to the locker room. But I understand with the protocols and everything. But like we're going, we're we're going to pick up our gear. We're changing in our gear in our hotel room. And like it felt a little bit in that sense. It felt a little bit like a little bit like soccer camp. I feel like with soccer, maybe more so than any other sport, the fans are such a big aspect, especially as a goalie. You know, you usually have your home crowd cheering you on, chanting for you, screaming um, your name and your team. What was it like playing in front of, you know, an empty arena, basically? Um, yeah, it was, that was tough. I mean, you said it, uh, soccer more than any other sport. It's just nothing without the fans. You listen to that. Right. The heartbeat of the game. Right, right. And it's like you watch the NBA game, you go to NHL, NBA, football game, it's like even baseball, every time there's a dead, there's the stoppage in the game, there's music playing, there's a fan, there's like a raffle, there's a this, there's a that, there's just things that they're doing to fill that void. And in soccer, there's really none of that. There's a halftime show, but that's about it, you know, like people playing the crossbar game at halftime like that's (laughs) all that's going on so um i think that that's why soccer is such a special game you know the fans are they're not fans they're supporters right they're Mm -hmm. they're what makes every club who they are as a club and uh so that's been really challenging but at the same time makes my job a whole lot easier because um just not having to like having to talk and communicate as I'm sure you guys heard on the field the way the communication yeah. goes um but not having that added fan noise definitely allowed me to not have to really yell which was nice yeah. save the vocal cords of your course. defenders had no excuses for not being able to hear you or whatever that's yeah. right right <laughs> exactly now one last uh, question about the tournament before we wind the clock back a little bit um, overall, what, what was the quality of play like? Did you notice any any dip, any raise in the games, or was it kind of just it felt like normal soccer once you got between the lines? Yeah, I, I would I wouldn't put it any other way than that. Um, I think that you know the nine a.m. games there was obviously a noticeable dip in pretty much every single second half, um, just because it's just getting hotter and hotter, um, and like guys are getting tired and it's getting hotter, and so games were like stretching and opening up a little bit. But I think overall, um, it, it was pretty solid. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it any other way. It felt like, you know, felt like it, it would if, you know, you're playing a normal regular season. I think you saw the fact that a lot of these teams 
you know, I mean, we haven't been full strength pretty much all year except for like maybe one or one game now. Yeah. We've been full strength for, for one game, which was Montreal in the bubble. And um, so, you know, finding those, that rhythm, those finishing touches, those things. But that, that's like all – if you look back at a season and you're talking about March and like the first week of April where you play like your first five or six games, that's all normal stuff. Yeah. It's, I get that it's August now, but you have to think like for most of June, we couldn't even train together, you know. And then finally we're allowed to train together for two weeks and then all of a sudden we're playing competitive games. Everything's not going to be perfect. Um, we're going to iron things out. And, you know, the big thing for me is like taking care of things defensively will allow our attack to eventually spring, spring forward when that, when that stuff starts cooking. But I think overall, I'd say the quality of play was pretty solid. Now, Matt, some people might regard you as a bit of a late bloomer, which I don't necessarily understand. You're only 26. You've been starting for new England for about, you know, a couple of years. What point did you start to realize that you had a chance to play? professionally at a high level um so I, when I was actually at St. Joe's I used to joke like some of my friends used to joke around with me and say like oh you could definitely like play in MLS you know <laughs> because I used to love I used to go to the Red Bull games I used to love that stuff um but I was all about baseball I just loved I loved baseball I was swinging bats ever since I was a little kid I could walk and that was the sport I really wanted to play and then I started falling in love with soccer more and more because of the culture of the game. And like, I, I, I was such a sports head as a kid, like <laughs> any time, like anything. Gym class, I was a gym class hero. Like any, uh, anything I was playing, I was like to the max. I, there was a while I thought I was going to be a baseball player. Then I thought I was going to be a basketball player. And then baseball again. And finally, um, I just fell in love with the game of soccer and it was like really the 2010 World Cup where I was like, oh my goodness, this, this sport is just something completely different than anything else I've ever watched. And I, I mean, I was a huge Yankee fan through like the late 90s, early 2000s, you know? And, um, and so, I don't know, for me, I think when I realized that I could play professionally, uh, it wasn't really until like my third, my junior year of college because I didn't play my freshman and sophomore year at Fairfield. It wasn't until my junior year where I won the starting role so after that year I had like pretty lights out years like statistically one of the one of like the best ever in, in NCAA and like that's when I was like okay hold on a second <laughs> I'm looking at my name on um, these lists and I'm like okay that guy he gets talked about a lot that guy he gets talked about a lot and mind you I'm like in classes like watching every highlights of all the MLS games I'm watching highlights of all the like the top goalkeepers in college watching their games. Like I'm not paying attention to my international <laughs> finance class. I'm literally just watching highlights for an hour and a half. So, I mean, that's probably when I really, when it really clicked for me, but there was moments here and there where people mentioned it to me and I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, now you had your college days at Fairfield. Then you signed your pro deal with the Revs, got loaned out to Richmond. Uh, looking back on it now, among that, was there a season or a, a training camp where you really saw yourself make the biggest strides as a player? You mentioned that when you first got the starting role as a junior and, and your lights out year as a senior in college, but was there a, a training camp where you really noticed yourself take that game to the next level? Yeah, so I'd say probably my, my second year. Um, my second year, so it's the year that I played like 20 games in Richmond. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> 
there was a big noticeable difference from year one to year two for me. Um, and I remember being in preseason and playing so well, but just like, I didn't feel like the staff at the time felt like they could take a chance and give me an opportunity. So we played, we had two trips. We went to Casa Grande, Arizona for like 10 days, back to New England for three. And then we went to Tucson for two weeks. And I played two games in the 10 days. But when I say two games, I played um, a 45. Four halves, right? Half against Minnesota. And then we played um, this, some Croatia team, Croatian team. And uh, I actually, we played them in a 60-minute scrimmage. And I actually played the whole scrimmage. So I played a grand total of 105 minutes that preseason. And, like, I don't know. I was thinking about how I spent. Okay, so I didn't play that well in the Minnesota game. But that was my first like game action at the MLS level ever. Because the preseason before, I never got the chance. I played seven games in Richmond, but it's so different. Like the the jump, the speed of the game, everything happens a lot faster. Like that takes time, and you need to get used to that. But when I played against this Croatian team, I remember playing. We won one zero, and I like absolutely stood on my head like played an amazing game and I was like okay like surely this will give me you know at least a knock on the door to get a game in Tucson because that's where like the big preseason tournament is and uh no I I didn't get a chance to play and and they sort of sat me down and said this is our plan for you this year and obviously I was disappointed because I felt like I was I had proven myself but Little did I know, I still had, I literally didn't even scratch the surface of what proving yourself actually means, right? And that was a pill to swallow, which I think has really helped me in my career. And um, I, I accepted my role, which was going to be the third string that they said, uh, we, we think it's really important that you play as many games as possible this year in USL. And I, and, and I trusted my coaching staff. I said, okay, if you think this, this is what's going to make me better, um, then I'll, then I'll go and I'll do that. So I would train in New England Monday to Friday. I would train in New England. And on Friday, I would fly from New England to wherever Richmond was playing, play Saturday, fly back to New England on Sunday morning, back in training Monday morning. But like, so typically in, in MLS, like when you play a game on Saturday, the next two days are recovery days. Like you have your day after recovery day and then two days post-game recovery day which is like for starters, super light. But it was like I was training Monday again at like, <laughs> like I didn't even play, <laughs> game, you know? So I would, go, I would be, I was, at the end of 20, uh, I think it was, yeah, 2017, I was just exhausted. I was just like, oh my goodness. Because so much travel, so many games. I never really got that same rest that a normal starter would get. Um, but it, that, that was a huge year for me in terms of development. And to learn to trust what uh, coaches and, and people have to say to you. Now you talk about your development as a goalie. Two other big characteristics are experience and confidence for a goalie. You're getting that experience now. At what point, though, when since you joined the Revs, did you start to feel more confident as you went along? Confidence is a funny thing because it ebbs and flows. And so it'll never be there forever, right? It, mm. it, and the, the only way to make it more a more consistent part of your game is to get more and more experience. It, it right. really is go hand in hand um, because as you get more experience, you realize what confidence can and can't do to, uh, to your game and, and the, the like little triggers that you have to 
get the best out of yourself. Um, I think 2018 was like my first year starting in MLS, and that was a huge, um, huge learning curve for me because I was actually just talking about this today with somebody. It was my si my sister actually, and uh, <clears throat> I played however many games, 26 games in a row, and I was healthy and I got benched, but I wasn't playing well. I deserved I deserved to get benched. And uh, that was like a tough pill to swallow, but it's like another lesson learned, right? And you just like build those things. And, and uh, my new goalkeeper coach, um, I mean, we signed him last year. His name's Kevin Hitchcock. He's really done – he really uh, understands me as a goalkeeper and as a person. And he knows what like ticks my boxes during, during the week to make me feel the best on the weekend. So that's a relationship that I've really cherished and I've learned a ton from on the field and off the field uh, in terms of getting myself ready for games. Now, you've had a couple of coaches since you've gotten to New England. Bruce Arena's in charge now, and I get that people want to pile on him for the 2018 Miss of the World Cup, but the bottom line is he's had tremendous success. Five national championships, UVA, five MLS Cups, uh, took the U.S. to their deepest ever World Cup run in 02. Point being is he is one of the most historic figures in the history of soccer in this country. So what is it like to see him every day, play for him every day, and, and be there. The guy, is, the guy is just hilarious. Like, if you ever get to have a conversation with him, I guarantee he'll leave you, uh, like, with some sort of joke or, like, laughing. And I think uh, to be able to work with him every day has been just a huge blessing. The guy, he knows, he knows people, you know? Like, he knows soccer and he knows people. And he knows how to, like, he knows how to get you going in a way that's going to get the best out of you, right? And you just have to be willing to accept a little bit of, uh, a little bit of joking, a little bit of making fun. But he's he'll he'll say it to person number thirty on the on the team sheet, and he'll say it to person number one on the team sheet. He he's no problem, you know, holding everybody to the same standards. And I think that's been huge for us. Um, also, his expectation is to win, and guys on the field know that. Um, if we're not winning, he's not afraid to make changes and give people opportunities. We have a bunch of games coming up in a short period of time, and a lot of guys are going to get opportunities to play. So um, training's been really intense, and, and we know that, like I said, we know that he's willing to put his confidence into players and give them a chance to sort of make the most of it. And if they do, they, that's great, and it helps the team. And if they don't, well, that's sort of on them. Because everybody just wants a chance to play, right? But, yeah. but that, that's been, like, the biggest thing that Bruce brought in was just, like, um, an environment where people feel like are expressing themselves more and more. Now, Matt, if you could, tell us a little bit about the uh, Never Ever Give Up program that you're a part of with the Revolution. Yeah, that's, that's been great. Uh, I took that over from Kellen Rowe when he left the Revs, and now he's back. So it's sort of like a 50-50 split on it in a way. But being a part of the, the we'll just call it Nigu, the, the Nigu crew has been so, so great for me and my family. Like, just to be able to give these kids, uh, you know, a day where they can forget about uh, everything that they're going through. You know, we get them their own suite with their family. They get to come down on the field for warm-ups and after the game. And, and honestly, like, it would be nothing without the fans because the fans at, at Gillette, they, they do a great job when they know that there's a Nigu uh, all-star coming to the coming to the field they, they all stay in the section win draw loss they stay up there they know that uh, soccer is more than just a game 
and they cheer these kids on and, and uh, it's just such a special night every time and and uh, credit like Kellen like I was so grateful when he gave me the opportunity to get to um, continue on uh, like his legacy and what he left behind and and now it's so great to have him back and and we had big plans for this year but obviously things took a different turn with COVID is, so is it a partnership with a local hospital or is it um... no oh it's with the Jesse Reese Foundation so okay. kids really come from anywhere um that was sort of like my big thing is like I want to sort of start like localizing it a little bit more um to be like a New England thing but it that was like that was an idea on paper you know um at the end of the day uh it, it's been running so well and so smoothly and and we're giving a lot of kids a really great opportunity so whoever it is I just want to be able to use my platform to to help a family out and make them feel uh, special. That's awesome. Um, now, I know if we were to ask you this question, maybe five years from now, you'd have more to choose from. But as of now, what is your favorite memory that you've had as a player? As of now, my favorite memory as a player, geez. Uh, it's really <laughs> tough. It's really tough. Um, all, of, all of 2019, uh, it taught me so much about myself. Um, beginning as a, the third string, you know, finally getting a chance to play in May and losing 5 nothing to Chicago. And then uh, just going through different coaching changes, that was really challenging. But um, the end of the season, from like, from like August, mid-August, when we played away at Red Bull until we played away at Atlanta, like it just all seems like such a blur, like, results were going our way like everything was just happening and shaping up it was such a tough year like if you look back at our season last year if we were like any other sport in the united states everyone would talk about that season and be like oh my god like this yeah. was an amazing i mean i think we had like a two or three percent chance to make the playoffs at one point and we like we turned around and we, we made the playoffs and i'll tell you what like that game in atlanta when we lost one zero we we were playing pretty well. I'd say we, we had probably some of the better chances in that game. Obviously, barred like the end of the game where they sort of had a couple of flurries because we were stretching to try to score. Mm -hmm. But just to be able to play um, play in a playoff game, that was, you know, check off the bucket list. But my, my obviously fondest memory in soccer is, is that the first call I got uh, to the national team. That's, that's got and, and I, you know what? Yeah. You're, you're starting to get interviews in your role. You're you're starting to kind of think like the interviewers because that was yeah. my next question. Yeah. Uh, you didn't get in the game, but you had the chance to be on the bench for two matches this past fall. Uh, what does it mean to have the chance to, to represent the country on an international level, especially with, with the great history of goalkeepers in the U.S.? I mean, you look across the board at the other positions, but goalkeeper from, from Friedel to Howard and Keller and just everybody, the list goes on and on of, of American goalkeepers to be one of the next guys in that line. Yeah, I mean, to, so at first I thought it was just going to be like, there was a pre-camp before those mm -hmm. uh, friendlies and I thought I was just going down for like a week-long pre-camp, but an injury actually sort of allowed me to slide into that, uh, that third spot, which was huge because that meant over that week that they liked what they saw in me. And um, to get to work with like, the national team, uh, like all these quality players. And that's the, obviously the highest level I've ever played at. So it just makes me a better player. And to get that, that opportunity, I mean, 
it meant so much to me. Uh, I never, when I was like 18 to 21, like it was, wasn't even on my radar. You know, I was, I felt so far removed from it. Um, it wasn't even something that I felt comfortable like writing on my list of goals, you know, cause I was like, all right, like that's, a, that's a little excessive, like slow, to, slow your roll. Um, so, so to be there, it felt like weird at first because like, I felt like everybody sort of knew each other and I didn't know anybody. Like, it's not like I played soccer when I was way younger and I was on the youth national team with some of these people. I felt like such an outsider, you know? Um, but, but getting to know, uh, all these guys, guys I've watched play a million times and, and getting to train with Sean Johnson, Brad Guzan, that was, uh, that was really special for me too, uh, because I know how, how much quality they bring and, and picking their brains about certain situations and different things. And, and both of those guys have had tremendous, uh, soccer careers, um, and they're both still going. So, and that's, that's like another thing I said, uh, mentioned earlier, just to make relationships with people be able to be in the bubble in Disney and see them and talk to them and, and have a joke and laugh and, and uh, to feel like I'm part of that brotherhood a little bit of U.S. soccer is so, so special. Um, and now, you know, part of my list of goals is to get my first cap. And there you go, back-to-back -back times. The last yeah. question before we get into the two fun segments we do, but we got our question list here. That's my next one. Uh, you, keep, you keep stepping on my toes here. Your, yeah. your, job, is, your job is stopping goals. But I'm sure you have a list of goals. What are some of your personal goals for this season uh, in the shorter term when it resumes? And what are some of your longer term goals? Yeah, uh, short term, obviously, uh, we play Philly next week. So it'll be clean sheet, uh, you know, clean sheet and, and just keep building on what we, what we started down in Disney defense, uh, on the defensive side. I think um, just being the conversation of, of, of top goalkeepers in MLS is huge for me. Uh, and, and I just want our team to make the playoffs because once you get there, anything can happen. So um, it's still early doors in terms of number of games played. We're going to have our work cut out for us a little bit. I think we really shot ourselves in the foot, uh, obviously in the DC game and a couple other games early, like pre COVID yeah. where we could have grabbed the point in Montreal, but we missed a chance at the end. We could have grabbed all three versus Chicago. We missed a chance at the end. So it's just like, little things like that. And, and we need to, you know, sort of smooth all that out because those are the kind of things that can keep the team out of the playoffs. Um, the, the, the good teams in MLS, they don't, they don't miss those opportunities to, to stamp their foot on someone's throat. So uh, just to be considered uh, one of the top teams in MLS, like my short-term goals mostly re relate to uh, team success. When the team does well, that means I'm doing well. And Winning is the most important thing at the end of the day. Putting on a good show for the fans, making sure they're happy and pleased with what's going on on the pitch. Uh, long term, obviously, uh, I would love to continue to be part of the national team conversation. Um, you know, ideally get my get my first cap and sort of build off that. But you know, one thing at a time. Like I said, um, if my team's playing well, I get the chance to to be in with the national team. I'm sure of that, and. Uh, from there, it's about showing up and, and showing the coaching staff at the national team that, that they can trust me. They can put me into a game and they can trust me in being somebody that uh, they feel comfortable uh, putting into game, uh, a game situation. So, um, yeah, there's obviously little technical and little things here and there, but overall staying healthy, being available, and, uh, and just trying to win some games. 
All right, Matt. So as Joe mentioned, now it's time for the fun stuff. All right. We got two segments for you. We do with all our guests. First one's called the Swift Seven, seven rapid fire questions for you. And then we got a trivia question that Joe will give you at the end. All right. All right. So question number one of the Swift Seven for you. Who is your favorite player that you have gotten to make a save against? Uh, Joseph Martinez. Number two, who was your favorite goalie growing up? Tim Howard. Of course. Okay. Favorite team to use in FIFA outside of the Revs or the U.S. national team? Uh, barely play FIFA anymore. I play more. <laughs> but back, uh, I loved playing with uh, – uh, it was a Russian team. They just had, like, this really tall strike. I can't even think of the name. Spartak Moscow. They had a, they had a huge striker, and I would just cross balls into the box. <laughs> nice. Um, favorite city you've gotten to play a game in? Uh, Vancouver, but not the pitch. Okay, that's a fair point because I yeah. don't really like watching games on that pitch, and, it, and the players yeah. don't seem to like it either. And and you could great that. city though. That is a great, great city. city. Gorgeous. Great city. Uh, favorite sport other than soccer? You mentioned baseball and basketball. I think I know your answer, but favorite yeah. sport? Baseball. Gotcha. Uh, favorite team to play against on the road? Favorite team to play against on the road? Uh, NYCFC Yankee Stadium. All right, there you go. That's cool. Home, you're home. You're in your in your Yankee I Stadium. Thought, I always thought I would play Yankee Stadium, just a different sport. Different sport. There you go. There you All go. Right. That's funny. Last one of the Swift Seven. Favorite teacher at SJR. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's so many good ones. Coppola. Oh, Coppola's great. I saw him a couple of uh, uh, well, longer than that now. Time seems like a blur, but it's been. It's been a while. <laughs> it's yeah. been a while. I saw him right before I came down to Florida the first time back in like January. But uh, yeah. you're tired. You're tired. Yeah. Tired. Yeah. Enjoy retirement. But uh, but yeah, plenty of plenty of great ones to choose from. All right, the trivia question that PJ mentioned. Uh, yeah, whenever you're ready. Whenever we have an athlete, whether current or former, we always like to ask them something from their career. So maybe you get a little advantage here that. There's only a few years span to choose from, so the question might not be too hard. But it's something that maybe you could even use as a little bulletin board material and motivation when the season starts up now. Your question right. is, you were the fifth goalkeeper in the MLS Goalkeeper of the Year voting last year. Can you name the four who were ahead of you? Uh, yeah, I believe I can. So there okay, were... 90 seconds and three strikes. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, okay, there's Vito Manone. Number one. Yep. Uh, Sean Johnson. Number three, yep. uh, Tyler Miller. He was not on the list. No. Oh, no. Uh, that's one strike. One strike. Yep. That's one, and you're that's 25 good. seconds, so you got plenty of time left. Oh, I got plenty of time left. Uh, there's Guzan. He was three. Four. Yep. One more. There's one more. And second in the voting. Yeah, he was second. Yeah, he was good. Oh, second is left. Second is the guy who's left, yeah. Second is the guy who's left. It wasn't to me with that year. Give me a time time count. Uh, you got 40 seconds left. Manone was one. Johnson was three. Guzan was four. You were five. Stephen Fry five. was not it. That's kind of <laughs> um, 30 seconds and one strike. So you got plenty of time to formulate your last guess. Plenty of time. Uh, 
no way. I think Ten I played seconds. against him pretty recently, too. Yeah, I mean. Five seconds. Do you have anything on your mind? I guess, I guess the only thing I could say is uh, probably if you said played against him recently, Bill's a mead. There it is. You got two. it. You got uh, it. Then, then I was kind of like, ah, like, yeah, I didn't think he was up there, but gosh. That was it. There you well go. Well done. Matt got uh, it. I like that. That was both important here. You're right. Hey, I, I figure, you know what? That's a, good, that's a good question to ask. It gives you a chance to, uh, to put those four names in your mind before you start playing again next week. Exactly, exactly. Well, we can't thank you enough for taking the time with us. Uh, I know your sister, I believe, is a frontline worker, so thank you for all her work. Hope that she's still yeah. doing well and your family's doing well. Um, yeah. you, got a, you got a week to get ready. Go, go do your thing, and, and hopefully we can reconvene this when the season ends and we talk about how you had your run to MLS Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll look forward <laughs> to that, guys. Good meeting you, Matt. Appreciate it. I love the – I love the – Love the forward Madison kit, too. A little USL League One representation here. <laughs> There's soccer in the U.S. Let's grow it. Once again, that was New England Revolution goalkeeper, Matt Turner, who's playing some incredible soccer right now. And Joe's awesome to get an athlete on here who has experienced the bubble and what's that like. Because people like us on the outside, we kind of have an idea maybe of what yeah. it's like for them. But you truly don't understand the day-to-day. And it was interesting to hear some of the things that he would do during bubble life yeah. in his experience. That was what really struck me, actually. I, you know, I, I was kind of going into it thinking, all right, what's he going to complain about? The food, the quartering, like what is he going to complain about? Um, but that's something that didn't even cross my mind, how in order to just kind of make sure everybody got practice time, there'd be like all these different time slots and your routine would be non-existent. Like I almost figured – Again, obviously with no knowledge, just kind of assuming what he might say based on my perception of what bubble life might have been like. I was thinking it might have been like overly monotonous where it's like wake up 8 o'clock, go to your test at 9, go to practice at 10, eat, sleep, whatever. Like just very monotonous, weighing on the players mentally. But it was totally the opposite based on what he was saying. You couldn't get a routine at all, which was the hardest part, which was – You'd practice at 9 a.m. one day after practicing 10 p.m. the night before. And then you'd have a game in the morning. And then the following game, you'd play at night. Like, it's totally out of whack. I can't imagine how tough that must have been. Just athletes are such creatures of habit and routine. And goalkeepers in soccer and hockey are, are two of the most uh, kind of superstitious creatures of habit of any position in any sport. And for them to have to go through that, especially for Turner, that had to have really sucked. Again, especially with goalkeepers being such creatures of habit. Um, but hey, he made it through. Uh, his team did well. I got bounced in the first round of the knockout stages. Matt played exceptionally. And like we said before, we teed up the interview. He just picked up right where he left off now that the MLS is back. Um, it's really nice to see teams back in their home markets. Fans yeah. aren't necessarily there, but... You know, soccer fans are the most loyal bunch of fans. I was watching the Toronto-Vancouver game on the 18th when Toronto first came back, and they had no fans allowed. But one of the corners of their stadium is is open air. Um, To make a comparison that you or some of our loyal Maryland listeners will know, picture Maryland's football stadium where, like, the corner is open um, on the side where the 
big jumbotron is. So if anybody is on the street in that corner up on the hill, you could still see in. There was an open corner like that in Toronto. There isn't really a hill, but there is a building with an awning, and their supporters climbed up onto the <laughs> awning and were like lighting off flares, waving flags. It was great. I mean, it's next they, they, all had, they, all, they all had masks on. Soccer fans are next level, and at least being in the home market gives that possibility. I don't know when necessarily they're going to be opening up to fans and, and whatnot, but it's great to see them back in their home markets. and. Uh, it's going to be a sprint to the finish there like it has been in, in some other sports. And some big news possibly is that Lionel Messi, after finally terminating his contract with Barcelona, the biggest rumor floating out there right now is he's always wanted to get to MLS eventually. He's going to go to Manchester City. Manchester City has a partnership with New York City FC in the MLS. So after he has his couple of years, his, his few remaining prime years with Manchester City, he could be heading stateside to New York City. So something to keep an eye on. That is uh, some, some MLS-related news as we wrap up the interview with Turner. So How about great that? all around. Great to talk to, talk to him. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned at the end of the episode last week, and I touched on it during the interview. Never went to school with him, but always saw him around uh, in the couple weeks between when we would start our training in Fairfield, where he went to school, would start his training. Uh, he was always there getting in the extra work. So it should not at all come as a surprise that he has made it where he is. Maybe a quote-unquote late bloomer, uh, but – he, he's made that name for himself. And I, I like the trivia question. I, I gave him some motivation. And, so, and it seems like he's taking it so yeah, far. It does. It does. It. Yeah, no, he's a nice guy. It was good to meet him. And it was awesome talking to him. We got the NHL playoffs now, Joe. And they never disappoint. Always. They only got playoffs, best postseason in all the sports. March Madness. But I, I'll give it a solid number. We two. didn't have March Madness. That's true. That's true. In 2020, <laughs> it is number one. That I'll give you. Um, it's been awesome, though, just to give people a little glimpse of what NHL playoffs is like. You take Vegas and Vancouver, right? Vegas coming into it, heavy favorites, win game one, five, nothing. You're thinking four-game series, maybe five-game series, and what does Vancouver do yesterday? They win five to two. Yeah. So that's just the ebbs and flow of the NHL playoffs. That series is tied up at one. You have the Stars and the Avs, surprising to many Stunning. people. Dallas is up 2-0 in that series. The Islanders keep on rolling. They're up 1-0 in their series against Philly. Game two is tonight on Wednesday. And then, in my opinion, the best series of the second round, Boston and Tampa Bay. Probably should be an Eastern Conference final preview. Yeah. Um, that series Tampa, is tied up at one apiece. Tampa-Boston is probably the best on paper. Um, I think one of them – I think the Flyers-Islanders has a chance to be a more entertaining series than, than Boston-Tampa just because uh, the way those two teams play, their styles, and the way they kind of go up against each other, and just kind of like the kind of buzz and excitement around the Islanders knocking off the Capitals, being yeah. the lower-seeded team, and uh, Barry Trotz has his team clicking again like the Caps were a couple years ago. And then on the flip side, the Flyers, they were the team that took everybody by storm middle of the year. and they come through the round robin and get the one seed. So for me, there was a lot of intrigue in that series. Now we didn't get a chance to, to go through picks for this round uh, because the round wasn't set for our last episode yet. Um, now in the bracket that I posted on Twitter where I accidentally <laughs> clicked the Dallas stars, I got the whole left side of the bracket, right? Uh, but uh, my pick was the flames. I just happened to click the wrong one on my NHL bracket challenge. So I didn't go perfect in the West, but um 
I had the Avalanche in five. That can't happen anymore because they're down 2 nothing in the Stars. Yeah. Uh, now, what we talked about in the past was when it comes to Stanley Cup playoffs, if you want value in betting in series prices, you give it a game or two. You see how things go. Maybe sometimes you, it means you miss the boat on a, a bet that you would have liked. Maybe sometimes it means you get great value. The Avalanche are plus 250 now. And the way those first two games went, the Stars played better in the first one. The Avs played significantly better in the second one. And after a couple of fluky goals for the Stars, they just never relinquished the lead, played tremendous defensive hockey. They, it was 2 nothing Avs, for anybody who didn't see the game. Uh, the Stars had a 5-on-3, scored. On, there was still time left, so on the then 5-on-4, they scored again. Uh, a few minutes later, it was a pass in front of the net, and this is why you just get pucks towards the net. You never know what happens. Alexander Radulov had the puck roll up his stick. It bounced and hit him in the shoulder. He looked down the ice, not sure where the puck went. Meanwhile, the puck bounced over Franco's shoulder into the goal. That's what made it 3-2. And then uh, the fourth goal, it was just a, a crazy jamming in front that, in my opinion, shouldn't have counted uh, after it got reviewed because uh, the, the stick shoved the pad into the goal, and mm-hmm. they let it stand. But that was all the Stars needed to take that 4-2 lead. I think they got an empty netter in the end. I, I turned it off late. Um, but that, that's all they needed, a lucky bounce off the shoulder, a crazy jamming in front after a 5-on-3 that shouldn't have happened after a soft call, call, and they just ran with it. So the Avs are the much better team. The thing that is still just kind of – making me hesitant from even putting like just 10 bucks at plus 250 odds on the abs uh, is the psychological aspect of it because the stars beat them all four games in the regular season. And now they're up 2 0 on them. The only time this year that the stars lost to the abs is when the abs dominated them in the round Robin. Mm. Um, so that's something to watch, but I, I, I still like the abs to come out of it, whether it's six or seven. Um, they're a much better team. I think they'll, start finding themselves again. And again, it's not like they played poorly in game two. The Stars got a couple fluky goals and then just played tremendous defensive hockey. So um, it's, it's a really good second round all around in the NHL. And it is. my picks before the series, before all four series started, I had Lightning in six. I had Islanders in seven. I had Vegas in five. And I had Abs in five. You talked about you wait – for when it comes to betting, you wait to see what a team does maybe in the first couple of games. And I saw yesterday that the Flyers now and the Lightning were plus 180 before going into their game twos. I think the Islanders are going to win, though, because the, the Flyers, I think, only scored like 13 goals in their series against Montreal. They're just relying too much on Carter Hart to kind of save them and then get that timely goal. And that plays right into the Islanders' hands because you're not going to get many chances against them anyways. Nobody's going to outwork them. And every time they get a good opportunity, they're cashing in on it. So I think the Flyers are in big-time trouble. Tampa-Boston's a toss-up. That series will go six, probably seven. But, again, we've talked about it all year with Tampa, how they just kind of have that Virginia vibe to them and that it's just finally their time. They easily could have been down 2-0 yesterday. Once it goes to overtime, anything can happen. They find a way to pull that out. And you just have to think that the way the postseason is going for them so far, surviving that five-overtime game against Columbus, winning that, 
then going on to win the next three or four, win that series in five games. Now you got it tied with Boston 1-1. I think they come out of that one. Dallas, though, and, and Colorado. Colorado was just clearly the inferior team against the Coyotes. They could not stop them. Dallas, I don't know if they can keep outscoring Colorado because that's what it looks like it's going to take for them to beat them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they've already done it twice. Like you said, they've had some good luck. But in the NHL playoffs, anybody will tell you, you, you pretty much need to be lucky more than be yeah. good. You just – you need it to happen. But 2 nothing, 2 nothing isn't really any sort of – Especially with, uh, with no home games. I mean, it's – Exactly. So, now, if the Avalanche lose game three, they're screwed probably. But as long as they win game three, you're still – I still feel pretty confident about them taking it. Even if they then go and lose game four and they're down 3-1, we see 3-1 leads evaporate all the time in yep. hockey. It's very, very common. So as long as they don't lose game three, the chance is there for them to take the series. I'm with you. And how about us, Todd Reardon? We called it God. out of town. God. I, it, 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 had, it had to be. And I think Gerard Gallant is probably the best bet, which is quite the storyline after Caps beat him in 18 to win the Cup. And now could be their head coach. He could be. Um, we now go to the playoffs in golf, Joe. Oh, PJ, we just had uh, – we had our absolute worst week, by the way. But Neither of our guys that, made the cut. <laughs> see, this is what bothers me about golf not getting enough attention, is that Dustin Johnson shot a 30-under, Joe. That's like LeBron James scoring 80 points. Like, I don't think people understand that. The man went 30-under par – we talked about with Dan Orlovsky about what Tiger makes him, what makes Tiger his favorite athlete. And he talked about how hard it is just to walk 18 holes. Try walking 72 holes and shooting 30 under. He had a 60 on Friday and he parred the last four holes, I believe. He was, look, Dustin Johnson has always been the most talented player since he's come, him and Rory have been the most talented player since he's entered tour because Tiger kind of faded off. And if Dustin Johnson has the putter working, you're playing for second place. I mean, it's that simple. The guy can drive it so far. If his irons are working and he gets it on the green and his putter's rolling, you, you can see what happens. And he, he's starting to get his rhythm back. He won earlier this season before this win this past week. Now he's got two in his belt. He's the world number one again. He's absolutely rolling. We got the top 70 this week in Chicago. It's going to be a lot of fun. Joe, who are you taking? Uh, I mean, after last week and watching how it went, PJ, you know we hate to go chalk, but I can't pick against Dustin Johnson after he looked that locked in and hot. I can't do it. So I'm going with Dustin Johnson. That's it. It's plain and simple. I mean, Fair. This, is, this is so chalk, and I, I hate it for that, but – like you said, the guy shot 30 under. He's, he's tore it up in the FedEx Cup playoffs before. I mean, I, I can't pick against him this week. He might lose, but I can't do it. He's going to go at least top five, you'd imagine. He's, and especially after last week, where for the first time since we've been picking golf, both, both of our picks the missed the cut. So I'm not going against Dustin Johnson this week. Well, I don't know luckily, what since I'm it's not. top 70, there's no cut this week. So yes. everybody's so guaranteed four rounds, which is nice. TJ is going to be tough. He's the betting favorite, obviously. I'm going with- My other option was John Rom. If I didn't want to go chalk with DJ, it was John Rom. Okay. But I'm going with DJ, officially going with DJ. 
Okay. And I'm going with Rory this week. Rory struggled since the return, but I think this is his time where he gets it going. He hasn't had that round yet where he's gone seven, eight, nine under, which he's obviously capable of. of I think that happens this week. I think everything comes together. Tour championship is next week. He obviously is incredible at East Lake. He won the FedEx Cup last season. So, uh, you know, this is the time of the year where he really starts to get it going. The U.S. Open is now three weeks away. He, he's got to feel like he's really got to turn it up a notch. I will say, too, I think this is the week that Tiger gets in contention as well. I don't know if he's going to win, but I could see him finishing top 10. You got to look again when it's four rounds. You got to look at guys that have been pretty consistent over the span yeah. of four days. Not a guy that's going to shoot six under and then he'll back it up with a five over. Tiger shot five under on Sunday at the Northern Trust last week, which was good to see. But he's always been hovering over that two under, even par, three under, one over. So if he can have a couple good rounds of maybe five under and then shoot his even par, one under, he could be right there. Yep. We'll see what that's what makes this this I guess I don't know if tournament's the right word because it's three weeks, but that's what makes this three week stretch so much fun is that after the first week when you get the cuts, now it's just best on best on best and exactly it's right. Great golf. So Yep. Uh, um Joe, as always, where would you go, Joe? And then trivia. We got football coming in two weeks, which will definitely be a lot more exciting. We'll have football games to choose from. But for now, we have the same old, same old baseball, basketball, hockey, and golf. Best baseball game of the day I could find for Thursday the 27th was Phillies at Nationals. Obviously, Bryce Harper playing against his old team. Max Scherzer on the mound for the Nats. That's answer choice A. Answer choice B, Clippers at Mavericks game six. Could be the last time that we're seeing Luka this season. Answer choice C, we just talked about this game, Flyers and Islanders. Game three, Philly could be down 2-0, fighting for their playoff lives. It could be 1-1 and the all-decisive who goes up 2-1. And then answer choice D, we get to attend round one of the BMW Championship. Joe Malpa, where are you going? So I think the answer here has to be Clippers-Mavs, just because of the way Luke is playing right now. Mm -hmm. uh, they got blown out in game five. They could get closed out in game six. Clippers are going to be motivated to do that. But I don't think Luka's going to let that happen easy. So even if the Clippers come out and win by 15, I could still see Luka putting up like 40-12-12 in a loss. And right now it's just kind of like the mystique of Luka for me that does it. I mean, round one, adds the Thursday in a golf tournament, whatever. Right. Um, Flyers, Islanders game three, like we said, great series. but. Uh, until you get to, to a possible elimination game, I, I'm probably going to, you know, side with a different elimination game in, in this one. And then um, right now, baseball, we're in the doldrums of the season. Trade deadlines this week, it'll pick up maybe. Uh, but right now, baseball's not really the first thing on my mind with, with the Stanley Cup playoffs, with football starting in now 14 days, and with basketball at, at the stage that it's at. So, and even the FedEx cup playoffs. So yeah. baseball takes a back seat for at least another week or two to me. I'm with the Clippers Mavs would be my choice as well, because look, I mean, the Mavericks could win. You could force a game seven. Luke is just playing out of his mind right now. Yeah. 
that's been the most entertaining first round series other than Denver and Utah. It's been awesome. So I'm with you there. Question for you before we get to trivia. If you could go to an empty ballpark to see a baseball game, the NBA bubble or the NHL bubble, what would you choose? That's a good question. Um, hmm. Are the vendors for food still there at the ballparks? No, but you get to bring your own snacks into the arena. With okay, you. so no. Um, I would probably – ah, hmm. We might have to post this question on Twitter. That's uh, a good question. It's a great question. I, I don't – I think a baseball would be kind of eerie. I mean, so would being at either of the others alone. But I think just more for – kind of seeing what the bubble is like at the hotels and, and seeing the, the city, I'd probably go with the Toronto bubble okay. over the Edmonton bubble and then over the Disney and, and a baseball stadium. I'd probably empty go ballpark, to the Toronto bubble. Empty ballpark, I think, would just be so cool because the sounds of baseball are yeah, just fantastic. Um, if I had to choose between NHL and NBA bubble, I think – I think I'd go NBA too. The NBA bubble sitting down there is probably great fun, but like people don't realize just because with the way the cameras are and, and the way the, the mics are on the ice, people don't realize how much the benches chirp at each other and it's right. so much fun. So right. I think being there, sitting near the glass where you're in earshot, um, being in a beautiful city of Toronto and getting to see that, uh, the, the Islanders and their ping pong tournament they've been having in their hotel, like just little things like that. That'd be like fun to be. See, a but part of those of. three that. hockey's the best live, which makes it tough. So you just exactly, think exactly. you were the only one there. How sick that would be. Exactly. But I don't know. There's something about being in an extra, in an empty ballpark, sitting behind home plate by yourself. That just intrigues me the most. I think. It's a there. good question. I'm going to put that on Twitter and we're going to see, we're going right. to see what people, what people say about it. Joe, we have reached the end, which means it is trivia time. You picked up a point on me last week. I did. Four to three and a half. (laughs) Just kidding. So I have not watched Hard Knocks yet. I got to watch it I'm not asking you another Hard Knocks question, that's for sure. (laughs) That's good. Did you watch last night's episode? I I, I have it banked for for today, actually. Very good. Um, Did did you ask me my question? Did you ask me your Uh, question first last week? I did. I asked you the hard knocks question first last Sounds week. And then I got All right, golf. so I'll give you my question first. It's a All good right. one. NFL is two weeks away, so I figure I'd give you an NFL question. And as always, 90 seconds, three strikes. Who are the three teams in the NFL last season that had two receivers in the top 20 in receiving yards? Three teams. Three teams? Three teams. Right. Go ahead. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Godwin and Evans, that's one. Yes. Okay. It wasn't the Patriots. It wasn't the Jets. It wasn't the Bills. It wasn't the Dolphins. It wasn't the Giants. Uh, the Cowboys with Gallup and Cooper. That is two. Uh, it wasn't the, Redskins, uh, the Washington football team. It wasn't the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles actually, interestingly enough, did not have a single receiver over 500 yards. Um, it was not the Packers. It was not the Bears. Could have been the Vikings with Thielen and Diggs. I'm not going to say that yet, though. I'm going to keep going throughout the league. It wasn't okay. the Lions. It was not the Steelers for damn sure. It was not the Ravens. It was not the Browns. It was not the Bengals. It was not the Saints. They don't have a good second target. It was not the Panthers for sure. You're at 40 seconds. You got plenty of time. 
Um, it was not. Oh, it could have been the Falcons. All right, those are two in my mind still. Um, was not the Titans. Was not the Jaguars. Was not the Colts. Was not the Texans. Was not the Raiders. Was not the Chargers. Was not the Broncos. Chiefs. I have all three of my strikes. Um, was not them. 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 Or them. All right. We got our three final guesses, and we have all three strikes. Twenty seconds left. Let it fly. The, the Falcons. It was not. Okay. Was it the? Hmm. Vikings. It was not. Mm. We got ten seconds left in one strike. All right. Shoot. Are the Chiefs? Not the Chiefs. All right. The Good last question. one was the Rams. Woods. The Rams. Woods oh. and Cooper Cupper. I, I, that, I was going through – I was naming the teams, but then to save myself some time, once I got out west, I was just like, not them, not them, not them. And I didn't think it was them because I knew that – Golf Cooks had a have, bad season. I, golf had a bad year. Gurley had a bad year. The team had a bad year. Mm-hmm. Brandon Cooks was supposed to be their one. Didn't really pan out. Now he got traded. I know Cup had had some a few great weeks. I know Woods had a few great weeks, but to both be top twenty, that's that's a little surprising. But so Godwin was three in receiving yards last year. Evans was thirteen. Cup was twelve. Woods was sixteen. So they Cooper, snuck in. Cooper was eight, and then Michael Gallup was twenty, right on the number. Question. Yeah, I knew Gallup snuck in with his last couple of good weeks, but Cup and uh, Cup and Woods sneaking in there. That one. Yeah. That one got me. It's a good question. All right. Yeah. Uh, so that makes me three and a half or 14. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, now your question, again, when we come up with these, we always try to at least see if we could answer it ourselves first. And this one came to my mind as I was watching the Lucas Giolito no-hitter. I was sitting there and was like, wow, the White Sox have 19 no-hitters. That's incredible. Uh, so my question, though, is not who has the most no-hitters. What's my question, 19? 19 that surprised me so I was sitting there thinking I was like which teams have struggled to get no hitters in their in their team's history uh I knew there were a few that were down there there are six teams that have either zero or one I was able to name five before I looked it up so I think to be fair I will ask you to give me four of the six teams that have either zero or one in their history and your time starts now. Well, the Padres are the lock. Yes, the Mets, they have zero. The Mets, That's two. Uh, Tampa? That's three. And... Indians, White Sox, Twins, Royals, Tigers, Braves, Phillies, Nats. Still got a minute. Yeah. Brewers, Pirates. Is it the Pirates? It is not the Pirates. Hmm. Pirates have six of them. Cardinals, Cubs, Brewers, Reds, Giants, Dodgers, Rockies, Diamondbacks. Rockies. Colorado Rockies, number four. There you go. All Um, right. The other teams I was thinking of, was it the Diamondbacks? Uh, the D-backs are close. They have two. Okay. And then uh, who's the other team that I was considering? Was um, uh, Seattle. Seattle has six. 
Mm. You would have struck out if you went with those. Yeah, King Felix and Randy Johnson. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I got, when I went through it last night, I immediately got the Padres and the Mets. I knew Tampa um, and I knew Colorado. And then after a little bit of thinking, I I got the Brewers. The team that I did not get was the Blue Jays because I figured back Mm -hmm. when they had that kind of in their heyday, I thought they might have had it. Um, Or Roy Holiday, yeah. Doc, RIP. Like, you know, I thought they would have had a couple more in their history, so I didn't get them, but I got the other five. So very good. Yeah, nice Which franchise question. has grown the most? No hitters. Oh, the most is the Dodgers. Dodgers have twenty six, followed by the White Sox at now nineteen, who broke a tie with the Red Sox yesterday. They had previously both had eighteen, and then rounding out the top five, the Giants with seventeen and the Reds with sixteen. That's almost a better question. Is the four franchises with the because the Reds would be the See, top? Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think people would I say the Yankees. That. They'd but say the Braves. You if, you would have known the White Sox just because it was so talked about yesterday. So if I were to give you the same question but in reverse, of the top six, give me five of them. I I think you would. I'm sorry. Of the top six, give me four of them in the same way that I just had the bottom six. Give me four of them. I think Dodgers, Red Sox, Giants, Cubs, because the Cubs then would be the next team. I think that would have been doable. You probably the Reds might have been the team you missed, but I thought the other four were pretty easy. So how many? Did that's why I went with bottom up. How many? The Yankees? Yankees. I was surprised to see that the Yankees only have eleven actually, uh, and are not near the top. They are about dead center middle of the pack with eleven. Yeah, how about that? So, Good well, question. Love it. Now from here on out, Good we stuff. can hopefully have a, a bunch more football questions, and I should start racking up points again because you see the way I just ran through the teams. Ah, you, that was that was good. Is. That was good. Uh, All right, so five to three and a half. Five to three and a half through fourteen. You're still batting right around three hundred. You're still a Hall of Fame hitter. I yeah. got I got to get my average up a little bit, but exactly. Uh, but now um, we get into football next week. Big preview episode for the NFL. We're gonna have some fantasy nuggets we're gonna have uh some some win total over unders our division picks our guess at what a playoffs might look like especially now with the seventh team in each league um football's back baby it starts two weeks from today when this releases on thursday thursday night football chiefs texans that's such a bad (laughs) bad thing the nfl did to the texans making them start their season at the chiefs where last season ended after a twenty-something point lead, <laughs> but, it would have been it would have been Ravens Chiefs because they would have wanted Mahomes and Lamar, but the Chiefs are at the Ravens, so that's yeah. why that's why it had to be. Because if you look at the Chiefs' home schedule, it's really, really not great. Not really great. Not. So and the Texans the were, matchup for sure. And they get Watson and, and Mahomes, so that was the obvious choice in prime time. We got Adrian Dantley, NBA Hall of Famer on the show next week so that was a lot of fun thanks again to matt turner for joining us and hopefully he keeps his good play going just not against dc united that would be for you yeah that was <laughs> all right joe was a lot of fun last episode of august if you can believe it last episode of august we are in september we are in football season baseball's halfway through um but next week do not come into this expecting anything other than a sprinkle of the nhl a sprinkle of the nba and a whole lot of NFL to get you ready for the season opener coming exactly up the following right. week. The following That's exactly week. right. Well, Joe, we'll do it again next week. Until then, thanks to everybody, as always, for tuning in and listening. We hope you enjoy the episode. We'll see you next time.